We're going to be in the book of Daniel this morning as we begin a few weeks series on the Holy Spirit. Before we start, let me, let me pray for us as a community together and then we'll dive into the message. Let's pray. Father, I just reiterate the thanks that's already been expressed for the beauty of the snow that you blanketed us with over the night. Father, your creation is just incredible. The variety and the color and the scents and the sights. This, um, your creativity is just amazing. Father, as it says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament's his handiwork. And uh, Father, thank you that not only have you just lavished on us such an amazing creation, but you've also lavished your love on us in Jesus uh, by coming yourself to this earth to redeem us, to restore us to you. Father, what an incredible opportunity we have as human beings to know and to relate to and talk to uh, you, the God of the universe. Thank you. Thank you that we're able to gather here together uh, in peace. Uh, thank you, Father, for bringing us safely here. I pray for those that aren't here. Uh, Father, just for the warmth and safety of where they are. And uh, as people travel, Father, you just guard and wow, give people caution. Father, I give you our world that we're a part of and because we live in such safety and security and comfort, so, e so often it's so easy to forget our brothers and sisters around the world or, Father, people around the world that live with daily conflict, with daily fear, uh, with daily deprivation. And Father, I just pray for your mercy uh, uh, upon them. I pray, Father, for you to, to bring peace to troubled areas. Father, I pray that you would raise up missionaries to go to those areas to bring your peace in the name of Jesus and your provision. Father, again, I thank you for this time. I pray that you would teach us through your Holy Spirit even as we talk about your Holy Spirit and that the end result of this morning wouldn't just be words, but like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the kingdom of God isn't just about words, but power and Father, that our lives over the next weeks, your Holy Spirit would change and fill like the little chorus we sang early, earlier. And, and I just ask as we go into the message, Holy Spirit, that you would fall afresh on us, that you would melt us and you would mold us and you would fill us and we, we, you would use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a little personal testimony before we dive in here. I, it, was, it was January 1st that I um, went to urgent care with um, this leg infection that I've had. And the infection went through my body. And, and since January 1st, what's today, January? I mean, February. <laughs> I've lost track of time. It's about the 9th of February. I have only worked outside of the home probably four or five days. Um, and um, you know, the way God works, it was exactly what I needed, I think, to prepare me for preaching on the Holy Spirit. Because in the process of the last weeks, God has really used this time 
in my life to, to, to be a time of evaluating. Um, because I'm, I found myself to be, um, I know this would be a surprise to most of you, a very driven person. Um, and, um, and I found it amazingly hard over the last six weeks to slow down and to be still and know that God is God and, and, and in the process to really learn a little bit more about what I'm talking about this morning and how hard it is because we are so flesh and blood oriented, aren't we? I mean, what we see and smell and touch and taste and where, where Paul says in, in Ephesians 6, he says our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I mean, we live in a spiritual world, but how many of us function as if we just live in a material world most of the time? And so how hard it is for us to, to day by day as we go to work and as we go to school and as we shop and as we're home, to live in, in light of this spiritual world that God has created, that is every bit as real as the material world that is before us. And so to become individuals who live in the presence of God and, uh, and, and individuals in whom the Spirit of God lives and dwells and, and, and thrives. And so for me, it's, it's, it's been a really good process and, and I hope a little bit of kind of what God is teaching me, and I, man, I, I just feel as I preach this sermon that I hardly know anything of what I'm talking about, except I'm really eager as we look at the scripture, this scripture together and over the next weeks, that it would be, um, it'd be our prayer, just like the little chorus we sang, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Um, and so that over the next weeks, it would be a fresh learning and becoming individuals in whom the Holy Spirit is, is really living and dwelling. So, um, here we are. Megan, it's good to have you back, too. Labels can be deceiving, right? Labels on... Um, they can be good for us, and they can also be deceiving. A good thing about labels is if you have an allergy to peanuts, for example, a label on a food product warning you that, if, that it's possible that that was made on a machine that also processed peanuts, and you're deathly allergic to peanuts, that label is very, very valuable for you. But they can be tricky also. I was looking at a cereal box, and we have generally pretty healthy stuff at our house, and, but I was reading the front of a cereal box at our house this week, and this is what it said. I, it, it said, this, eating this may help reduce the risk of heart disease. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> I thought, man, you know, I... But it's, it's a really sweet cereal, you know? And as I was eating this, I thought, you know, it may reduce, and that may, where it is a really key word, may reduce the risk of heart disease because it had whole grains in it, okay? How much, who knows? But at least since it had some whole grains, it could say may reduce the risk of heart disease. But as I was eating it, I thought, but I'm not sure how, how happy my heart is with all the sugar that I'm eating and how much that sugar counteracts the little bit of whole grains that are in there. Labels, I think, can be good and they can be tricky. Um, when we're not feeling well and we need to get checked out, um, I think labels are important to us, aren't they? Um, on January 1st, I wanted to go to a place where, where the person didn't have a label that said B.A., or um, MA, or ED, ED, Master of Education, EDM. Uh, I wanted to go somewhere where somebody had a label that said ND, Doctor of Naturopathy, or MD, Medical Doctor, or PA, or RN, 
somebody that I knew could understand and help me. I have a label, um, it's called THM. Anybody know what that means? Yes. It's a label that most people say it's probably good for nothing, but <laughs> no, it's, it, it means masters of theology. And honestly, I went to as much school as it takes for a medical doctor to go to school. I went to four years to get that master's. Um, but I wouldn't recommend with a THM that you come to me asking me about your thyroid because I might get it mixed up with like a hemorrhoid and, you know, treat something. <laughs> no, I know the difference. Um, I think. <laughs> I'll ask my wife later. But, you know, this goes, for the, this goes for the spiritual realm also. And this is where I want us to, to think here as we move in. There's two guys. Their names are Nick Milheiser and Alex Frankel. Anybody heard of them? They make up a, a pop music duo named Holy Ghost. That's the name of their group, Holy Ghost. Interestingly enough, their debut single, Hold On, in 2007, was described by a music magazine as one of the dirtiest little Italian disco tunes you'll likely hear. Kind of a rude awakening if you saw the name Holy Ghost and thought you were going to get something spiritually encouraging. <laughs> Labels can be tricky. It was just this past week that some concerned individuals alerted us to a self-labeled pastor who was sending inappropriate texts to youth. And the false label providing maybe a cover for some very non-pastoral activity. Labels can be deceiving. Um, I think one of the biggest potentials for deceptive labeling can be in relation to the Holy Spirit. Anointed preaching. What is that? What, what does it mean? Anointed preaching. Uh, I've seen it on descriptions. Spirit-filled worship. What does that mean? What is, what is that? Spirit-filled worship. Um, Doing an, an internet search, um, you know, anybody can be an expert nowadays. I found a Holy Ghost Church. That sounds, that sounds great. But what does it mean to be such a church? I mean, to have that label, Holy Ghost Church, that's... Um, what does it mean to be a church that carries such a label? And, and I want you to know, I'm asking serious questions. I'm not belittling anyone that says spirit-filled worship or anointed preaching, I mean, those are good things. But the question is, what should we expect when the Holy Spirit is involved? When the Holy Spirit is part of the label, what, what should we expect? Um, emotion? People falling down, shouting, jumping, I think sometimes that's the idea we have. If the Holy Spirit's a part of it, it it'll mean there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of activity. Um, but I know from experience that all of those things can be produced and not have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. So that's our assignment today. As we begin, as we begin talking about the Holy Spirit and and wanting the Holy Spirit, right? That's why wanting, come Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us, um, to ask ourselves, what does it mean if the Holy Spirit shows up in our lives? Um, and so we have a wonderful case study in the Bible that introduces us to the Holy Spirit, and he's actually the man that we named our second son after. Daniel. And uh, I love how Daniel is described. If you want to turn to Daniel, the book of Daniel, it's right after one of the longest books in the Old Testament, Ezekiel. So Ezekiel, Daniel. 
And we're going to look at him. And just to start with, I'd like you to flip to Daniel chapter 4. And I'm going to read just a few verses to kind of whet our appetites about why we're looking at this, this guy, Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading at verse 4. Daniel 4.4. 4. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, and I want you to know Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on the, on the planet. He was king of the Babylonian Empire, which is potentially the most powerful empire that ever existed. Babylonia. He was the king. He was the ruler of the Babylonian Empire. He was ruthless. He was, he was, he was absolutely pagan. That was Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 4 he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Uh, I had a dream that made me afraid, and as I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. And he is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God. And look at this, this, look at this label. This is, this is what grabs me about Daniel. This is why we're looking at him. He says, and this is what Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan, powerful man, says about Daniel. He says, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Isn't that a great, great title? And so Nebuchadnezzar in verse 9 says, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Nebuchadnezzar, this powerful man who can command, and whatever he commands happens. I mean, he's absolute ruler, and yet... A dream happens, and we see this repeatedly in this book, and we're going to look at it, where these dreams happen, and, and he's stumped, and nobody can, nobody can solve them, but Daniel, and that convinces him because there, there's something different about him. The spirit of the holy gods is in Daniel. It's not a self-labeling saying, I'm a spirit-filled person. But it's, it's this pagan king looking at him and looking at his life and the evidence of who he is and how he's living, saying, that is a man in whom the spirit of the holy gods is. So, as we begin looking at the Holy Spirit today, we're going to look at Daniel, and I'd like us to ask three questions um, as we look at Daniel here. While we pray, I, I, really, I, as we pray that this would become our desire and, and our reality, people in whom the Spirit of God is clearly evident in our lives. Um, as I was thinking about this, I, I, I thought how easy it, it could be that over our lives and over so many of our churches in the United States of America, there could be the label, God not needed here. And that, that's a strong phrase, right? But because of the way we live, and because of the way we function, that it's, it's what anybody else could do. I mean, there's a lot of loving, wise, caring people out there. And I trust that as we, as we begin this process of, of looking at the Holy Spirit again, that it'll become our desire that that in my life, in our lives, God is needed. And we won't settle for anything less than lives that reflect the Holy Spirit of God that people, in a way that people see. So these are the questions I'd like us to look at this morning. Uh, the Spirit of the Holy God is in him. What will that look like? First thing, and we're going to look at Daniel's life. What will this look like? Second, how can we become like this? And, and so we'll look at what made Daniel like this. 
And third, why does it matter anyway? Um, so, looking at Daniel, what did the spirit of the holy gods in you, as he was described by Nebuchadnezzar, look like? Why was Daniel described this way? Just to start with, I, I just want us to, to realize, and as you look through here, Daniel is a high government official, okay? So number one, this had nothing to do with a guy that just had a lot of time to lay around and read his Bible all day, okay? I mean, this guy is one of the top, if not the top, advisor to, to King Nebuchadnezzar. As Nebuchadnezzar realizes who he is and the spirits that's within him, he places them into extremely high positions, and so he's a busy government bureaucrat, and in the midst of that life, not laying around reading his Bible, you know, tucked away in the closet all day long, but in the midst of busy government affairs, he is a man who clearly evidences the Holy Spirit. So it can happen in the midst of busy life, okay? That's what we're learning from Daniel. It can happen in the midst of school and work and responsibilities. This isn't for a mystic or a monk, you know, hidden away. Um, I also want us to see that it really doesn't have anything to do with emotions. Now it can, as we look other places in scriptures, but as we look at Daniel, there's nothing about emotions here. It's not about him demonstrating emotions, it's about demonstrating a lifestyle. So this is it, and I, I, wanna, I captured it by one phrase, and then we're going to look at some scriptures. This is what I understand what it means to be a, a person in whom the Spirit of the Holy God is. It's living a life that can only be explained by God. Let me repeat that. I think, I think that's what we see with Daniel. He lived a life that could only be explained by God. And so it brought about the label from King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, flip back to chapter 2. We're going to... This is the first dream. Daniel chapter 2. I'm gonna, we're going to pick up at verse 10. But in, in Daniel chapter 2, we see Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. This guy did a lot of dreaming. I probably had everybody doing his work so he could sleep a lot. I don't know. <laughs> um, this is his first dream. And he won't tell... He, he, he brings all of his wise men and astrologers and magicians <coughs> excuse me, together. And this is the clever part. If you look at the end of verse 9, Nebuchadnezzar says, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. He doesn't, in, like in chapter 4, he doesn't tell him the dream because he, he knows these guys. And he knows that he could tell them the dream and then they could just wing some kind of interpretation, right? I think, uh, you know, oh yeah, this, it definitely means this. You know, nothing, nothing about that at all. But he knows that if they have to tell him his dream, which only he knows because he dreamed it, that it will demonstrate that there's something supernatural going on. Verse 10 is great. It's the response of these men. The astrologers answered Nebuchadnezzar, they says, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. Period. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. And they get a little personal here, you know, as they say, no king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. I mean, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Isn't that a great phrase? No one can tell you your dream except the gods, and the gods don't live among humans. That's great. Flip down to, to Daniel 2, verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel, as, and we're going to come back to Daniel, went to his friends and they asked to pray together that God would reveal the dream. 
He comes to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar in 26 says, Are you, Daniel, able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And I love, it's great how Daniel responds, because he affirms what, the, what the, the magicians also said. Verse 27, he says, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he was asked about. It, it, nobody can. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Isn't that beautiful? The, the, the magicians say, no one can reveal it to the king your dream except the gods, and the gods don't live among humans. And Daniel says, I agree, no human being can, but there is a God who can reveal it to humans. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in, better these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. And the result is, um, look at Daniel 2.46. Daniel 2.46. As Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar his dream and interprets it for him, verse 46, Nebuchadnezzar falls prostrate before Daniel. He pays him honor and orders that an offering and incense be presented to him. And the king says to Daniel, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Flip over to chapter 4. Chapter 4. And we read this already. I'm just going to recap it. Chapter 4, as Nebuchadnezzar talks about his second dream. But I want us to especially look at verse 9. He says, I said, Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Why? Because the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Because he hears from God. Because he has a connection with God that, that no one thought was possible. But Daniel showed that it was. Look at verse 18, chapter 4, verse 18. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the Spirit of the Holy Gods is in you. Isn't that, do we get that? What, what would it be like if, if we were those kind of people, you know, at our workplaces, wherever we work, in, in offices or in the shipyard or in schools or in restaurants or wherever we work. If people by, the, by our lives demonstrate only what can be demonstrated if God is a part of our lives. One, one more, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. And we flip from Nebuchadnezzar to his grandson here in chapter 5, um, Bel Belshazzar, Belshazzar has taken the golden goblets from the temple in Jerusalem, and, and he and his nobles are getting drunk with them. And while they're drinking and praising the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone, uh, the fingers of a hand begin to write on the wall where these thousands of, uh, thousands of, it, of him and his nobles are, and the, the fingers write something on the wall, and, and it says his... his Legs begin to, sh his knees knock together, his legs become weak, and he's terrified because none of the magicians, astrologers, or wise men can read it. And, and he's terrified, he knows not what to do. Chapter 5, verse 10, the queen, and from the text, I'm not sure if it's the queen mother, if it's uh, his mother, um, Hearing the voice of the king and his nobles came into the banquet hall and says, May the king live forever. 
She said, don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, and it's a word that can be translated father or grandfather, and Nebuchadnezzar with his grandfather. In the time of your grandfather, he was found, Daniel, was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Like that of the gods. Daniel can only be explained, did you notice, by referring to the gods. To God. In 1989, um, a lady by the name of Alice Smith, I just want to give just, just a modern day illustration of this. Um, Alice Smith, she wrote a book called Beyond the Veil, and I'm just finishing reading it. It's a neat, neat book on prayer. Um, anyway, Alice Smith in 1989 read a book by a nationally known pastor, and though she had never met him, she knew that after reading the book that she was supposed to pray for him. She was supposed to become like a secret prayer partner and intercede for him. And so as she faithfully prayed for him, a year later in prayer, so 1990, she felt that the Lord told her that a female on his staff, again, a guy she's never met, this gal she's never met, she felt the Lord tell her that a female on his staff was deceptive and was hurting his church ministry. And God gave her details. And so after consulting with her husband, she wrote a letter to this pastor and uh, just shared the details of the problem that she felt the Lord revealed to her uh, about this woman. So one year later, 1999, um, interestingly, she didn't include a return address because she, she wasn't sure that she was right, that she'd heard right from the Lord, so she, let, she put her name but not her return address. Um, one year later in Korea, she and her husband were at a church growth conference, and the pastor was there also. Unbeknownst to her, he heard that she was there, and and. And he came up to her to thank her for revealing to him a situation in which this lady was his church administrator and had been embezzling large amounts of money and hurting the church tremendously. When he got the letter, the pastor investigated, found out it was true, fired the lady, after which their weekly offerings increased by $15,000. That's the amount of money this lady was embezzling weekly. How do, you, how do you explain that? Only by God and a life in whom is the Spirit of God. Do we want that kind of life, that kind of relationship with God? Not, ju not just words, but power. Um, Question, do our lives require God as an explanation? And honestly, like I, a lot of what I do doesn't. And I don't want it to be that way. That's why I said as, I, as we begin this series, this is, I mean, to me, it's God working in me and challenging me with you. And I, I pray that as we come through this process of studying, it won't just be words, but it'll be the Holy Spirit coming and falling afresh on us and making our lives lives that can only be explained by His presence in our lives. Do our lives require God as an explanation? And I'm not talking our past conversions, okay? Because it's easy for us to look back and say, oh, yes, God saved me, and dramatically, but I'm talking about now. Now. And I'm afraid that most of our lives are too easily explained by our own ability, our own wisdom, our own resources, our own strength. Right? Okay. A life that can only be explained by God. That's the kind of life that Daniel lived. And that's the kind of life I think that God is calling us through, to through the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So how did Daniel become such a man. What, what made him such a man? Again, I want to reiterate, it's not because 
he had lots of time to just lie around and, and read his Bible. You know, back back years ago, I I've been attracted by mystic writers, um, and I've enjoyed reading um, the accounts of mystics and monks. And but sometimes it's a little hard to relate because that's all they do. That's all they did was they just had all day long to just spend with God and. You know, um, I don't have that time. I am a part of running an organization. I, I am a busy person. But like Daniel, in the midst of that busyness, God says we can be a, an individual in whom the spirit of the living God is evident. I also want you to know it's not because he had an easy life. Because if we, if we went back to the beginning of the book, we see that Daniel is a captive. <laughs> Daniel's been brought as a captive to Babylon. Babylon. This isn't an easy life. In fact, um, translations like the ESV and, and the American um, New American Standard translate the the official that was over Daniel and. Hananiah, Mishael, and, and Azariah as the chief of the eunuchs. So it's very possible that not only is Daniel a captive, but he's, he's a guy that has been castrated because he's going to be in the king's presence. And so a guy that is that so much has been taken away from him. He's seen his, he's seen his country devastated by this enemy, and he's been brought captive to their capital city. And and yet in the midst of that, we see a guy that is evidencing the Holy Spirit in his life. How? What made him such a man? What can make us such people, no matter what our lives are, no, no matter what our situation? I don't think our situation could be worse than Daniel's, a captive in a foreign land. So four qualities that I see in Daniel, and they're qualities. These aren't steps that, you know, do one, two, three, four. These are qualities that I see in Daniel that I think are qualities that, that, that are required of us if we're going to be individuals in whom the Spirit of the living God is evidenced. Number one, determination. Go back to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. As Daniel is one of a a select group of individuals that are, that are selected in order to uh, train to enter the, the service of King Nebuchadnezzar, they're offered this amazing gourmet diet of food from the king's table, his, his food and his wine. Notice verse 8, it says, though, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Literally, it says, Daniel set his heart, set his heart, not to defile himself. In Daniel chapter 10, if you want to flip there, Daniel chapter 10, in verse 1, he receives an incredible vision from God. It says, the understanding of the message it came to him in a vision. In verse 2 it says, At that time I, Daniel, he mourned for three weeks because he doesn't understand the vision. He, God gives him this, this horrific vision and he doesn't get it. And so for three weeks it says he mourns. He ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. You can tell he's a pretty hoop to hoop guy, you know, using lotions. My, um, um, I, that's what you can. <laughs> um, I'm sure he has servants that are lathering it on him. Okay, <laughs> but notice, <coughs> and I want you to notice in verse three, this is a form of fasting. Fasting doesn't have to be going without food. Fasting can be going without your favorite food. It could be going without playing video games or watching TV. There's all kinds of ways that we can fast in order to wean us away from the grip that the flesh has on us and long for God more, okay? And so that's what Daniel is fasting, and he's praying. He's mourning for three weeks. Why only three weeks? 
because on the 24th day of the first month, the answer comes to him through an angel who for three weeks has, trying, has been trying to get through to Daniel to give him the answer to his vision, but there's this spiritual battle going on in the heavenlies, these angels that are trying to keep Daniel from getting the understanding to this, this vision so we can't have it in, in the Bible. Daniel doesn't know that at the end of three weeks he's going to get the answer. He just knows that he's not giving up. He's determined to keep pursuing, seeking holding on to God until he gets the answer. That's determination. Is that the kind of people we are? Daniel was a man who wouldn't take no for an answer. He's like Jacob who says, as God is wrestling with him in the form of a person in the book of Genesis, where he says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And, and God touches his hip and dislocates it, and Jacob's clinging to him, and he's... And, and he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. That's determination. It's like the parable that, that Jesus tells about the poor widow before the unrighteous judge. And she's desperately needy, and this guy doesn't give a hoot about her. And she's pleading before him, and finally he just says, you know, this, I don't really give a hoot about this lady, but she's going to wear me out. All he does is care about himself. But because of her persistence and perseverance, I'm going to give her what she wants. And, and Jesus ends the parable with a, a powerful question. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Will he find this kind of people that are this determined to have me, to know me? that they won't give up, they won't quit until they get me. Do we want the Holy Spirit that much in our lives? You know, I don't, I want, I don't want to give the impression that we don't have the Holy Spirit. Because in Romans 8 it says, if, if, we have, if we don't have the Spirit of Christ, we don't belong to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is within us if we are followers of Jesus. We believe in His shed blood on the cross for us. But it's amazing in how we can have Him in us and our bodies are called His temple and yet it's like we shove Him in a closet. And we need to be people like Daniel who are determined to say, Holy Spirit, I can't do without you. I'm tired of living in my own strength, with my own wisdom, with my own resources. A life in which individuals, all they see is me. They don't see you. It's a life that could be explained away by human ability and human ingenuity and human resources. It doesn't have to be God. Determination. The second quality about Daniel is dependence. Daniel was a man of prayer. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18, as... As King Nebuchadnezzar has put out the word to, to kill all the wise men because they can't tell him his dream and then interpret it, Daniel hears about it. He asks for time. In verse 18, it says, He returns to his house and he explains the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And notice verse 18, it says, He urges them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And as I read that, you know, the first thing that went through my mind is, how easy it is for me. When something comes up like that, instead of calling for a prayer meeting, to call for a committee meeting. To call together people to talk about what we should do, instead of to call people together to plead for mercy. And they do that. Daniel prayed regularly in, in Daniel 6.10. It says he prayed three times a day, like clockwork, and everybody knew because he prayed before an open window facing towards Jerusalem. It's interesting, as I read this, I, in what Daniel preached on last Sunday in 2 Chronicles 6, 36-39, it says, 
one of the things Solomon prays, he says, Lord, if, you know, if, if we sin against you and, and we're taken captive and, and we're brought to another land, but if we humble ourselves before you and we pray towards your city, then God, would you have mercy? And that's what he's doing in Babylon three times a day with an open window towards Jerusalem. He's obeying what Solomon prayed, asking for God's mercy that God would restore them to Jerusalem. And in chapter 9, it's, it's wonderful. In chapter 9, starting at verse 1, we see Daniel hears about Jeremiah's prophecy and that the captivity is only supposed to be 70 years and that time is coming to an end. And so chapter 9 is devoted to Daniel just pleading for God to return them to Jerusalem and restore them as a people. So he prays regularly and urgently and passionately and persistently and hopefully. Daniel's a man of prayer. He prayed. He spent lots of time with God. He's a, he's a guy that knew God. And as a result, his life evidenced God. Are we, are we a people of prayer? Daniel challenged us to that last week. Are, we can't be people that evidence God if we're not people of prayer. If we're not people of determination that we're going to hold on to God until God meets us. We give up too easy, don't we? I, I do. I pray and I often for something burdens me and I pray. And, and it's not that like Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel prays until God answers. I pray until I get forget or pray until I get tired or how many of us persist through with God until he answers? Ian e. Bounds, this, this guy has written several books on prayer. I, I'd encourage you um, to, to find one of, one of them. is called Power Through Prayer. It's the, it's the best book on prayer I've ever read, just a little book. He writes, A breed of Christians is greatly needed who will seek tirelessly after God who will give him no rest day and night until he hearkens to their cry. The times demand praying men and women who are all athirst for God's glory, who are broad and unselfish in their desires, quenchless for God, who seek him late and early, and who will give themselves no rest until the whole earth is filled with his glory. Uh, kind of like Rachel who said, praying to God says, give me children or I die. Ian Bounds, he says, the church never will be holy for God until the pews, or we could say the folding chairs or comfortable chairs in the front, um, are filled with praying men and women. The church cannot be what God wants it to be until those of its members who are leaders in business and politics and law and society are leaders in prayer. Third quality, obedience. Obedience. You know, Daniel was determined not just to pray, but to obey. Remember Daniel 1.8, it says he resolved, he set his heart not to defile himself. What does that mean? It means that he would not eat food forbidden by God's law. Even though it could have been his neck. I mean, this is... This is Nebuchadnezzar who's given this order to train these guys for three years eating his food off of his table. You don't just tell a king with his power, sorry, but I don't like your food. And yet Daniel set his heart not to defile himself because his king, <laughs> the king of kings and the lord of lords, at his allegiance way more than Nebuchadnezzar. Even if it meant his life, he wasn't going to disobey. And so for three years, and this is the level of his obedience, for three years he and his buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but calling them by their Hebrew names makes more sense to me. For three years these guys ate vegetables and water vegetables and water for three years. 
instead of the gourmet pork chops and pork loin that the rest of them were eating, but he couldn't because God's law forbade it. Daniel was known for his obedience. In Daniel chapter 6, he was going to be elevated by Darius to be the number one person under Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians, over the whole Medo-Persian empire. And the rest of the men were jealous of Daniel, and, and they knew that he, he wasn't corrupt, he wasn't negligent. There was nothing they could find about Daniel that could trip him up except, it said, about something that had to do with the law of his God. They knew that he was so committed to obeying God's law that if they could find something about the way he obeyed God's law, they could get him, and they did. So they went to King Darius and they said, you know, Darius, all of us have decided, well, everybody but Daniel, all of us have decided that it's a good idea that, that for the next 30 days, everybody prays only to you. That, that kind of stokes the guy's ego, doesn't it? Yeah, I like that. Everybody prays to me only. And if somebody prays to somebody else, they end up in the lion's den. Well, they knew they had Daniel because Daniel, because of his obedience to God, just like he had always done before, it says in Daniel 6, 5, he went into his house before his open window and he prayed to God like he formerly had done. Obedience. And it led him to being tossed into the lion's den. You know, his, his obedience led to a boldness for God that caused him to stand in the face of these powerful kings and say, I won't do that. Listen, Daniel chapter 5. Verse 22, listen to what he says to Belshazzar just before he interprets his dream for him. He says, Belshazzar, you have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this, meaning he knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when God judged Nebuchadnezzar in, in Daniel chapter 4. But instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. That's pretty bold stuff to say to a guy that can knock you off and nobody would care. But he's obedient. Remember Jesus said that his family, Jesus' family, are those who do the will of his Father who is in heaven. Oh, disobedient, unholy lives will never experience, will never evidence the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Unholy, disobedient lives will never evidence the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Just one more. Determination, dependence, obedience. The last one's delight because, you know, we talk about determination and dependence and obedience. I think some, we, can, we can almost get the idea that that could be a pretty pretty grumpy guy, you know, man, he's just living this life of just cranking it out for God, you know, okay, God, here I am, this captive, and I'm going to make the most of my situation, I'm going to obey you, but delight is the last quality that, that I see in Daniel. Daniel did all these things because he loved God, and he wanted to know God. He was a worshiper of God. Look at, after God answers the prayer of Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in chapter 2, in verse 19, it says, Daniel praised the God of heaven. He says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Daniel wasn't a, a grumbling, captive, eunuch, grumpy, fine, if I have to, I'll... I'll stick this out until the 70 years is up. But he's a guy that loved God and worshipped God and praised God. 
and, and incredibly, his love for God, it's like, it's like the two, the commandments are captured by loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. His incredible love for God led, led to an incredible love for his enemies. In Daniel chapter 4, there's a, a, little, a little verse that slipped in there as, as Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 4, which is judgment against Nebuchadnezzar and how for seven years he's going to have his power stripped away from him. And when Daniel, he hears the dream and God gives them the interpretation, listen to this, he says, in verse 19, he says, at the end, he says, my Lord, he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. And that is sincere love for this pagan king. Who he's, he's speaking judgment to. And it breaks him because he cares so much for this guy. Are we such men and women determined to hold on to God until we get Him, dependent, people of prayer, obedient, holy, delighting in God, worshipers of God? Just to wrap it up, what does it matter? Just, just to give you two, two glimpses here quickly. Oh my goodness, the difference that one man's spirit-dominated life made is incredible. Two of the most powerful people that have ever lived in history came to faith in God because of this man who evidenced the holy God by his life. In Daniel chapter 4, I just want, I'll just read the end in chapter 4, verse 34. As Nebuchadnezzar came to the end of the seven years of judgment upon himself and and God taking away his sanity and God restoring his sanity. Listen to what he says. He says, I praised, in verse 34, the Most High. I honor and glorify him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. And no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Isn't that incredible? Nebuchadnezzar, despot, ruthless, pagan king of the, the Babylonian Empire, comes to faith in God through the, the life of this man, Daniel. And in chapter 6, we see the same thing happen to Darius. Darius, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. For he is the living God and he endures forever, and his kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Isn't that incredible? What difference do our lives make? Do our lives reflect the work of the Spirit of God to those we work with, to those we live with? So how do we respond to Daniel's life as we close here? How, how does God, as, as, if we, as we've just glimpsed just quickly Daniel's life, this, this man in whom the spirit of the holy gods was evident. What does God want you to do? How, how does God want you to respond? I, I just want you to, as I, as I go to prayer, as I, what is God saying to you? Is he saying to you, Pray, like Daniel challenged us last week. Is he, is he challenging you to obey? Is there an area of disobedience or unholiness in your life that's keeping you from ever being able to be a person in whom the Holy Spirit is evident? To obey, to persist, to hold on to God until you get Him. Spirit of the living God, follow fresh on me. To persist in pursuing the Holy Spirit until your life evidences Him. As we pray, I'd like to ask you to just ask God, God, how do you want me to respond that I might be that person in whom 
the Spirit of the living God, is evident. Um, you know, if it's helpful to you as, as we, after I pray and we sing, and uh, we just want to make it available. If some of you want to just come up and it's helpful to you to just come up and kneel and pray, if that's helpful to you, do that. If I'm going to sit right here, if, if you'd like to come up and, and have me pray with you or pray for you, I'd love to do that. Um, how are we going to respond to the Holy Spirit working in our lives? Let's pray. Spirit of living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, follow fresh on us. Amen.